Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. So last year we chatted to Jason Sumner and Laura Conlon about Missouri's first black bear hunting season. We got Jason back on and the new black bear biologist, Nate Bowersock, to give us a rundown of their second season. Their second black bear hunting season is just around the corner, October the 17th. And again, I wanted to give them the opportunity, the platform, to showcase the amazing amount of foundational science that has gone in to the establishment of what they believe is a good hunting opportunity, but most importantly, an opportunity to continue to sustain and grow a large carnivore population in the state of Missouri. It's one of the few states that is actually expanding hunting opportunities not only in black bears, but they also have an elk season that they just opened. Both are for residents only, but hunting opportunities are increasing in the state of Missouri. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, look, I have to apologize because, you know, I, I get Jason on and I'm like, hey, where's this brand new esteemed bear biologist of yours? Like, he's late. <laughs> And so we're, you know, shooting the breeze. I was like, all right, you know, give him a ring. Give him a holler. Let's see where he's at. And then it turns out that, um, yeah, Robbie just sent the new link to Jason. He ah. sent the new link to, to Nate. There's the problem. So you're saying I'm the problem? Yeah. Okay, perfect. No, I appreciate honesty because that's what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be authentic honesty around what we do. Um, Jason Sumner, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Welcome back, Robbie. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm here all the time. So, 
<laughs> Bad joke. Fall, fell on deaf ears. That's okay. <laughs> um, and Nate, uh, welcome. First time to the Blood Origins podcast. You have some very, very big shoes to fill uh, since the last podcast we did with Jason and Laura, right? Yeah, yeah. Laura really set the bar high. and I, I don't know how I'm going to reach it, but I'll do my best. Now, as a reminder, let's, uh, I'll just, uh, before I continue, let's, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, Jason, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, Jason Sumners, and I have a little bit of a different role that I'm going to be assuming since we talked last, Robbie. Um, so Are you the big chief now? Well, close to it. Um, so serving as science branch chief for a few more days, um, effective August 1, while I will assume the role of deputy director for resource management. So, um, What is it with you guys coming on the Blood Origins podcast <laughs> and saying, hey, I'm only here for another couple of days, and then I'm off? That actually is very true, right? It was like just a few days before Laura uh, transitioned to her new role. So, yeah, no, really excited about the opportunity. Um, all of our field staff that do so much great conservation work on the ground, I'll be responsible for them as well as our conservation agents, our awesome. intensively managed conservation areas. Well, as I said to you probably in the last podcast, you know, Anytime we can help you tell the story of conservation that you guys are putting on the ground, because let's be honest, if there's anything that we can do to tell the story of conservation in the state of Missouri, and we all know that academics, resource agencies are not the best, do, don't do the best job of telling good stories about themselves and the good jobs that you guys do, we want to help you. Like, for instance, what we're about to talk about, you have some phenomenal statistics that will yield themselves to be a very informative infographic about what your first Missouri black bear season was like. Jason, this is an audio medium, so you have to talk. <laughs> I thought Nate was going to talk about uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> how good so, the, yeah. I, well, the I didn't know season went. Uh, introducing ourselves. So. No, so and Nate, could you please yeah. introduce yourself since your boss seems to be just like, he doesn't know where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm Nate Bowersock. I'm the new uh, acting black bear for a bear biologist for the Department of uh, Conservation. I, I started just in April, but uh, I started hitting the ground running, uh, starting a hair snare study. Uh, trapping bears left and right and uh just dealing doing all the things that this position uh, uh asks of me so we're serving on a bunch of different uh working groups both in the midwest and the southeast and uh yeah it's been a blast being here so far it's uh has not been a slow or boring moment and mm -hmm. uh, this organization I've, I've worked for the park service for a number of years and uh i've really enjoyed working for mdc they're just a very uh tight group very supportive uh, the amount of resources that this this organization has to put into its people and into studying the and monitoring the wildlife we have is it's it's pretty awesome. And this awesome. is coming from Yellowstone. I worked in Yellowstone, where it's like the second largest resource division in the country outside of Everglades. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to, to be part of this. Nate, um, you said acting. What does that mean? 
Well, I took, you know, we, once Laura left, we, we, uh, the position was open for a while, um, until they hired me. And so now I, I am the, the guy in the position. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause that's, I thought you said you introduced I mean. yourself I, as not, the I'm acting bear biologist. <laughs> I'm not like Jason. I'm actually going to sit here for quite a while. At least that's the hopes. And he's not pretending. Uh, yeah. I think while, while Nate might be new to bear management in Missouri, dealing with large carnivores and the challenges that come with them is certainly not new to him. And so we're, we're really excited to have, have him here and continuing the great tradition of some really, really good um, fur bear and black bear biologists in the state. Mm -hmm. Nate, what was your background? Where did you, where'd you do your work and what did you do your work on? Yeah, so I, I, I got my undergrad at uh, Michigan Tech in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, when I was there, I actually got opportunities to work with wolves and moose out in Eye Royal and did a mix of uh, field work as an undergrad. And then uh, right after graduating, I moved out to Yellowstone and worked on a river otter study then worked for the wolf project for four or five years uh tracking wolves monitoring uh what they were doing from the day to day especially during these big winter studies we were uh we track a wolf pack every day for 30 days and see what prey they captured and what their daily behaviors were and it was super blast got to see a lot of cool stuff hiked a ton and then uh, transitioned to the bear management office and was helping with the monitoring and management of black bears and grizzly bears for, uh, for yeah, another five or five sorrow years. And then uh, went back to school and got a master's degree at Montana State studying black bear population dynamics. Cool. So, uh, so I have, have gotten my hands dirty in quite a few different things, to say the least. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, Jason, did you see the uh, black bear project that we did with Arkansas? I have not seen that one yet. I need to. I saw that you guys had posted some stuff, but I haven't taken the opportunity so, to view it yet. So um, it may plant a seed in Nate's brain and your brain. For It, may, it doesn't have to be black bears. It could be anything. But uh, we approached the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and said, you have a priority wish list, like all resource agencies do, that PR dollars can't fund. You've expended your PR dollars for that year. What would you fund? And they said, we'd want to fund a study on black bears. We're opening up a new population, subpopulation for hunting, the Gulf Coast, Ozark, Gulf Coast Plain, Gulf Coastal Plain population. We want to collar 35 bears and we want to get the best science so that we can support the best management on these bears. And I said, well, how much do you need? They gave me a number. I said, all right, I'll raise the money for you. We raised close to $58,000. Nice for Arkansas awesome. Game of Fish for their Black Bear project. Um, this, this for Myron. Yeah, Myron means. I was yeah. just talking to him on uh, on the phone this afternoon. So oh, uh, fantastic! Funny, funny you fantastic. bring that up. Yeah, they just uh, Howl for Wildlife was the top winning fundraising team. They almost raised thirty five thousand by themselves, and they just did a podcast. They podcasted with all the guys on the ground, um, the vet and Myron and. Um, it was just a very successful project and a very successful project specifically showcasing the requirement, not the requirement, the requirement's the wrong word, the desire for hunters to really get the best data, the best data possible to be able to sustainably manage a population through a management activity like hunting. Yeah, you know, I think that is, you know, one of the real undersold things that 
oftentimes state agencies get into conflict with hunters about what the right approach is, but, but oftentimes as long as you have the right information, mm-hmm. they will do what seems to be right and want to do mm-hmm. what's right. And then at the end of the day, mm-hmm. support continuing to acquire that information. Mm-hmm. So that's really mm-hmm. cool, Robbie, that you guys were able to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. So uh, be thinking, you know, in the future, you have something that you're like, man, I wish we could do this. That's what we were built for, man. That's, you know, we were built for things like that. So let me know. Yeah, um, well, I'm always scheming. I've, I've already talked to Laura and a bunch of people. And uh, I, I think maybe that's one thing that gets me in trouble a lot is I'm always scheming, trying to take on more than I can handle. But uh, no, I, I could probably come up with some ideas. I, I think when I came into this position, the funny thing is um, I, I interviewed for another number of black bear positions across the country. And the one thing that kept coming to my mind is, it'd be really cool to do a statewide hair snare study to look at our density distribution of bears. That's what I did my master's on and you learn so much about them. And here I walked into this position and project was, was year one started. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was like, holy crap, I didn't have to do any of the groundwork. I get to just run this thing right, right from the get go. And so we're just going to collect some work. Well, we already just finished our first year collected, over 700 hair samples, which is more than what we did last time we did a hair snare study um, for the population. I think it's over 100 more than what we had in two years. And this is just in one year. And we're going to do it all over again in a slightly different part of the state. And we're going to just get some really cool science and pair that with all the collar collaring data we got and all the den visit data we got. And it's just going to give us a great population estimate to really help us monitor the population to the future, whether it's for giving more opportunities to hunt or just watch our population, you know, recolonize the rest of the state. So would you argue, would you say, and Jason, let's, let's, let's just rewind the, the clock a little bit to the last time you were on the Blood Origins podcast yeah. and the reason you were on the Blood Origins podcast the last time was that Missouri was entering into its first ever black bear season. And you did not enter into it lightly. You entered into it with a substantial foundation in science. Why was it important for the agency to have such a solid foundation in science? And then, Nate, you can follow on from Jason and just talk to that, what you just said. Like, this is what we're doing now to ensure that we continue this and even grow it, grow our science. Like, why is that important? Yeah, Robbie. So I think, you know, the basis here is a long history of this agency really using science to inform decisions. And some forethought, you know, as much as two decades ago, of folks saying, we've got this expanding bear population that's coming out, likely coming mostly out of Arkansas, as we were, we were talking. We share this Ozark Highland population with Arkansas right. and partially with Oklahoma. And then also knowing that bear hunting, large carnivore hunting is certainly a controversial topic. And so we wanted to make sure that the bear management plan that we set out in the mid-2000s was built solid science foundation-based decisions that once we got to an estimated population of approximately 500 bears, we would start talking about expanding and creating a new hunting opportunity for the state. So in the last few years, we've been able to, to, to have an elk hunting season and now a bear hunting season, two 
completely new opportunities. It doesn't come along often anymore for, for state fish wildlife agencies to, to create new hunting seasons. And so we knew that there would be challenges. Folks would challenge us on the science. And so Jeff Berenger, the predecessor to Laura, really set the stage for saying, okay, we need a population estimate. And so that's when we initiated the first hair snare, hair snare study nearly a decade ago. And, and that gave us a pretty good baseline number. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And then we led that into, okay, there's some information gaps we still have about female survival, cub recruitment and population growth. And so that led into a long, um, lengthy study to actually just identify what were those key variables so we could build population models. The next question was then, okay, now what does our sustaining a sustaining and growing a population look like? Adding hunting is an opportunity. Then what data and information do we need to continue to move forward to inform Mm -hmm. further decisions so we've got a 2012 initial hair snare i think that's when it was nate around that time yeah, frame yeah when that, 2012 is when when that first one was done yeah when that initial population estimate and so the further we get out in time from that initial population estimate our confidence in it is going to decline so this new project is really a reset of that number and then a long-term monitoring project. What What is a long-term sustainable estimation of what our bear population looks like? The other exciting part to me about the, the project that we're kicking off now, or we're kind of in the stages of, of moving forward, is like Nate said, it's new places where we didn't originally do some of the hair snare work, where we know we have bears. They weren't part of kind of that original core. And so we really have three areas in Missouri. The way I would describe it, mm -hmm. we've got that original core around I, uh, South I-44, around 60 Highway, kind of to the west. There's a big population there. As we move into southeastern Missouri, we have a much lower density, what appears to be just more widely spread bears. And so the genetic stuff will be really informative to understand what's going on there. And then when you look north of I-44 and into west central Missouri and up into central Missouri, it's definitely just an expanding population. And, and they're mm. coming from somewhere. Identifying where they're coming from will be super important. So there will be new opportunities as we try to figure out where the bear population goes from there. But all mm. of it, again, was really based on knowing that not only our commission would have the expectation that we're using the best science to inform decisions and make recommendations to them, but the public would likely hold us accountable to knowing um, and having some confidence in those decisions that we were making. Nate, are you are you operating under a a bear management plan in Missouri that was built in the two thousands? Uh, essentially, the mid two. I mean, it was it has been updated. Um, okay. You know, it was originally set in the early two thousands, and then. Um, I forget the exact date, but we have updated. But essentially, the goals didn't really change a whole lot other than they were just refocused a little bit. I mean, Jason did a great summation of our, our where our population is. And, you know, so where are we right now? When we started last year in your first bear season, what was the estimated population, Nate? Uh, it was probably, we're probably putting in a little less than 800, and we're now 
you know, a little over 800, you know, plus or minus. Um, our growth rate has stayed about the same. We're hovering around uh, 8%. So essentially in 10 years, you know, the population could be twice the size it is now, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I mean, it's really, that's a great sign. That's a healthy bear population. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just to build off of kind of some of the stuff that Jason said, it's like, not only are we, we uh, doing this hair snare study, collecting hair of bears and areas we didn't the first time around, but we're actually going to um, look at how landscape features influence the density distribution of the bear population, which they didn't do in our first year. The first year was just focused on that abundance estimate. But this time around, we're not only going to do abundance, but we're going to look at the density distribution and we can link landscape features, you know, whether it's uh, forest density, road density, people density, that kind of stuff. We can use factors like that to, to better understand how bears are distributed. And so that's really going to play a big role when we, you know, myself needing to, to start formulating that long-term management plan and monitoring of the bears is how do these specific landscape features influence our population and how can we make things better for the bears uh, for mm -hmm. the long term. So if I, if I remember correctly, and correct me here if I'm wrong, Jason, um, Last year, approximately 800 population. You guys set a harvest uh, target of 40 bears, 5%. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Robbie. We we actually regulated harvest in two ways. One, we we issued a permit quota, so we knew we didn't know exactly what success rate would be, but we knew it would probably be pretty low. And looking at data from Arkansas and a number of other places in terms of you know how many per permits allocated, the relatively short season, the timing of the season, we did put in a, a permit quota where folks were allowed to draw. And so they selected a unit that they wanted to hunt in, one of the three bear management units. We set that 400 quota um, for permit allocation and then a harvest quota of 40 bears with the requirement on a daily basis that hunters had to check in and make sure we had not met that quota for the season to continue. And in none of our management units did we meet the quota. Um, again, we knew it was a pretty conservative number. We knew success was likely to be pretty low, um, just given the challenging hunting conditions without bait, um, without dogs. It was mid-October, a mid-October hunt, and so it's not unlike hunting whitetails that time of year looking for, you know, white oak acorn ridges and, you know, just typical movement patterns of bears. And so, um, you know, fortunately, 12 hunters were, were successful and super happy with um, the opportunity that, we, that we're, we were able to provide for them. So what was the, what's the, what is the math there, Nate, on the, the actual harvest number to the population? Three percent, I think that's uh, number, isn't it? Geez, I mean that that we actually harvested compared to what we wanted to harvest. No, well, total. I should say what we wanted against to harvest, 800. Our, our goal. Twelve to what's twelve out of eight hundred? What's my math? Let me quickly do my math quickly. That's a couple percentage, yeah. I mean, it's a small amount. I mean, I mean, the, the the big thing that with the uh, one and a half percent, one and a half percent, yeah. So that that forty bear quota essentially with you know with crunching all the numbers and running a lot of uh, 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 what do I want to say um, oh gosh I can't think of the word but essentially assessing different uh, you know harvest levels that number was set so that we wouldn't be influencing our recruitment rate because we wanted the population right. to continue to grow but right. we wanted to provide that opportunity to hunters and so 
even if everyone got those 40 bears, we wouldn't see a slow in, in the population. That was that was essentially the goal of, of our. And you, and, and our you believe your population the, rate's the about eight percent, right? It, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we were below that, but that's just fine. I mean, the, the, sure. the fact that people were able to harvest bears, we had even ratio males to females. Uh, I believe the age distribution of the bears uh, was from anywhere from a year and a half to seven and a half or eight, which is great. Um, awesome. And, and so people had, you know, we, we had some nice animals harvested and even one um, marked bear that we had process at one point in time when it was taken and so that's you know we i don't think we could have asked for much more out of a, the first hunting mm -hmm. season ever jason um you weren't allowed to use dogs right yeah no dogs no baiting no baiting so it was a tough hunt right it, it it's not an easy hunt and especially as you said and, and how long was the season 10 days right yeah, yeah. Tough hunting conditions in terms of, you know, some of those other tools that increase, you know, hunter success, no doubt. Uh, and another thing that happened, we had a we had some nasty, violent thunderstorms that rolled through middle of the week, towards the end of the week, that certainly suppressed folks getting out there. But you could tell the second weekend weather turned around a little bit. And we had a few more, few more bears harvested. And so the idea here is that to be real conservative, try to figure out what success rates are going to be over the next couple of years. So the recommendation for this upcoming um, season is the status quo. We're going with the same 400 permit quota, um, 40 bears, harvest quota, same allocation in each one of the units to really figure out what things might look like before we make other decisions to try to get us, mm -hmm. you know, into, in, into a little bit higher harvest number that, that slows population growth. I mean, that, to be quite honest, we got a rapidly expanding bear population at eight to 10% a year. And so bears are popping up in new places. And, and I think that's going to be one of our challenges is, is where do we want them to grow? How many do we want? How many is the public willing to tolerate or interested in tolerating? And so then how do we have a, have a harvest that meets those objectives? Do you guys have a population estimate by year back through time? Do you mean like before we did our initial hair snare study? Or yeah, just so for instance, we think it's 800 and we're sitting in, you know, let's call it 2021. We thought it was about 800. Mm -hmm. What was the estimate in 2020? Or did we not have one? Or we had one only in 2012? No, so we, we, we have, we do have a, our, from that initial hair snare study, and then with all our, our other stuff we've, we've been doing, you know, the den and den work and the female survival. So that population estimate is from a model that has projected the population out starting from 2012 to now so we do have um we do have those estimates i don't have those numbers in front of me but you know there's definitely a a steady you know at least linear if not you know almost slightly higher lean mm -hmm. uh, trend upwards do in we, the population. do we know what the confidence interval is around the number jason yeah, so it's getting bigger. So, Robbie, that's part of why we're redoing the study. So, in 2012, we did the initial hair snare study. And if I recall, it was right around 300, 300 adults. We did not estimate juveniles and cubs because the hair snares don't necessarily capture them. Mm -hmm. So, that was the adult population. So, if you add in some known additional set of cubs, we probably had 350 bears in 2012. And so, that's what we really said 
we knew we at least had some confidence that that number of bears was there. And as Nate said, we've used that survival and recruitment information to create the population model that predicted around 2021, we had approximately 800 bears, plus or minus, you know, 150. And as we get out through time, any model, the confidence around it Right. decreases and so your confidence intervals get a little bit higher so that's the reason for really going back and doing this study to say okay now we've gone 10 years 12 years what's that new benchmark that we start from and run the model forward from that point forward when and will so the benchmark be ready jason uh I, I mean the hope is so we we will do the next round of the study next year the mm -hmm. They'll be done in August. Then we have to send the samples off to be analyzed. But I guess hypothetically, we could have a new model. And let's see, it's 21, 22. So potentially end of 2023 dish. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the cool thing is there's a lot of different ways we can look at this data, um, not only for just getting a really exact um, estimate now, but we can use this to, to assess, you know, how do we want to continue to monitor bears? Do we continue doing hair snares intensively? Can we can do a low, lower density type deal? Um, I know right now, I think the projection and like, if we didn't do this in three or four years, the confidence interval would be upwards 500 plus or minus. So trying to, to set a harvest quota based on that, would just would, <laughs> it, it's no, very difficult. Um, yeah. But some people, they don't always have, you know, some some locations don't have or don't have the resources that we do to dive this deep. And so this is a really great opportunity for us to utilize the resources and science we have to give us such good confidence in, in, in our estimates. And I think it's an important part of the discussion, too, as to how we got to that 400 permit quota and the 40 bears, because we did look at what if we're on the lower end of that confidence interval. What, what if the true population is the lower end, it's in the middle or it's on the upper end. And so we, everything we did in this initial phase of setting permit and harvest quotas was to be very conservative, very, very conservative. And so a little bit of the trade off of that is, is I think as we become more confident in what the population looks like, I, I would predict we will have some substantial increases in opportunity in the next three to five years as we have a better understanding of where we truly are with the bear population. Mm -hmm. How did, um, maybe this is a question to Jason because you went around on the first season, Nate, but how was the response from the Missouri hunters to the conservatism of the hunt. Now, just to, for everyone's edification, this was only open to Missouri residents. No non-resident could actually hunt bears in the state of Missouri. So was there any really big pushback that you got, Jason? No, not really. You know, I, I think most of our hunters were just really excited about this new opportunity. Um, one of the areas we heard and, and knew early on was that landowners, you know, f local folks really wanted to have make sure they had some opportunity. They're the folks living with bears. And so we made the decision um, to allocate a minimum of 10% of the, of the bear hunting permits um, within each one of the zones to landowners that had land within those zones. They could hunt anywhere, but they had land there. And so I think that helped. I think the, 
the the final number was was well above 10 percent uh, of you know local um landowners getting getting permits or at least folks who would have qualified for landowner permits you know just some folks who who did say man it's gonna be tough without bait and without dogs you know just recognize this is gonna be a challenging hunt so i wouldn't say that it was at all criticism they were super excited about the opportunity um but also i think a little bit reluctant because they knew it was going to be challenging given this mm-hmm. given the short time period period and the time of year and then those other limitations on on some of those tools yeah and we did do surveys of our hunters afterwards and uh we know at least the ones that did respond to our surveys um at least half said they did find bear sign um so that was that was great i mean that was one thing that in the course last year we just finished teaching a uh hunting course to, you know, kind of pump up the hunters for this year and, and give them advice. And we said, you know, you need to find sign. This is not deer that you can just sit and hope they come by. You have to find sign and sit around that sign. And, and so, yeah, half the hunters last year found sign, um, of the hunters that, um, were out there, you know, most of them didn't even see a bear, but there were a few that did see a bear in different har- harvest one. Um, and in uh, some of those cases, you know, they just, they wanted to let those small ones buy, wanted to, you know, get a, a bigger one or whatnot. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely sell, you know, last year, I know Laura did it and we did it again this year. We, we didn't, we, we told them, you know, this is not going to be easy. You're not going to be guaranteed an animal, but, you know, they were pumped. I mean, we answered questions, you know, well over a half hour after the allotted time for both courses we taught this week. And, you know, these guys are, are into it. And um, we even had a few individuals that drew tags two years in a row now. And uh, they are super excited. You know, both, I think both guys didn't harvest last year, so they're excited to, to make up for mm-hmm. it this year. Yeah, it's remarkable to me the the number of folks who were still satisfied with the opportunity, even though they didn't they didn't see a bear, they didn't even see sign of a bear, but they were out there with the opportunity to do it, and so that to me is just just really really cool. So all the permits have been allocated this year. Four hundred permits allocated. So that I don't know. I mean, the people were told that they had the opportunity to purchase okay. those tags, but they okay. they're not required to. No, no, but 400 permits have been granted. Yes, yes. Okay. When does the season start, Nate? October 17th, I believe. 10 days again? Yep, another 10 days. So here's the coolest statistic that I found that I, I like from 2021. I'd like to know what this statistic is this year. Because you guys have almost created the Kentucky model for elk, for black bear. And I don't know if you know what I'm, I'm talking about, but... In Kentucky, it's a ten dollar it's a ten dollar chance, and they get I would say they get two hundred thousand people putting in. I don't know that may be an over exaggeration, but it is a ton of people that put in for a ten dollar chance, especially non residents, to get a chance at an Elkinton in Kentucky. Okay, you guys had a ten dollar tag for your Missouri bears only for Missouri residents last year. And I think the number that was in the article was 6,330 applicants mm-hmm. for 400 permits. Times 10, that's about, you know, 63,000. Let's call it $65,000. Jason, that money, where does that money go? Does it go back to the Black Bear Project program or does it get distributed administratively through yeah. the department? Yeah, so the money goes goes into the commission's fund you know the commission determines allocation of of dollars and 
and, and resources across the agency, none of the money is earmarked towards bear management. Okay. But we we know in order for us to do good bear management, it's going to cost a lot of money. As you indicated, putting thirty five collars on a on a group of bears is not cheap. And as you might imagine, the staff and man hours to do a a hair snare survey across mm-hmm. South Missouri is not cheap, and I'll promise you it is more substantially more than sixty five thousand dollars. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the the amount of investment to do that it, it's just a small portion of recouping the cost of of providing such a substantial opportunity. But what's cool about it is that six thousand three hundred thirty people applied. That's almost. Again, I have to do my I'll, my math. My math might be wrong. Tenfold the amount of people for permits even available, which is a, either I think it's a hundredfold greater than the bears that you can harvest. So the percentage of some and here's the coolest thing about I like about hunters, and we don't tell ourselves more enough about this is that the chances of you actually killing a bear, the anti-hunters will come against us and they'll say, you guys are all about killing. I was like, okay, let's do the statistics on the chances, the chance <laughs> of me killing a bear in Missouri if I'm a Missouri resident. It's 12 and 6,330. That is a fraction of a half a percent. It's pretty so low odds. It can't be all, you know, it, it, it's, it's a fantastic, it's just a great statistic. Um, because <laughs> well, the guys want hunting, it. right? Not shooting. Or killing, correct. Or killing, yeah. Um, so how many people applied this year? That, that's, I, I get this question a lot. I was, Five thousand eight hundred. Oh, that's disappointing. Gosh, what? What? It's like thirty-five or something like that. It, it's a it's a decrease, but considering our our elk our elk uh, se- second season, we had less than half of the the amount of people that put in the second year for elk and black bears. We only had a couple really? hundred drop. Are you elk resident or non-resident? Uh, resident. Yeah, it's resident, resident only. Yeah, our elk season and our bear season, we we structured in a very similar way in that it is it also has $10 application fee. Uh, 10% of the permits are allocated to um, qualifying landowners. The difference with elk is we we have 5 permits. And so the first year, you know, we had about 19,000 folks apply four or five that's amazing permits. i love that yeah and yeah and, and it's and it's elk right and so you know as we know um deer and elk folks are a little more comfortable hunting them than they are mm-hmm. large carnivores and so we fully expected some smaller number would apply for for bear mm-hmm. permits than did for elk permits uh, but yeah a, as nate said i think we were at thirteen thousand or something like that applied the second go around so a pretty substantial drop um from year one to year two part of it's wanting to be in the first year and maybe that cool opportunity to shoot the first one and real high success rate. So I'm super encouraged by the fact that we just dropped off by a few hundred 
um, permits for those applying for, for, for bears. And, and I think like Nate said, you know, a few folks got drawn a second time. And so part of what we did not do that we did with elk is with elk, it's a once in a lifetime draw with bears. You can keep applying because we know there's going to be increased opportunity through time. And, and really the culture, the like understanding how to become a bear hunter um, is important. And so we wanted to at least provide an opportunity that would facilitate that development of, mm-hmm. of caring about bears, of being a bear hunter, you know, and, and understanding um, what that means to continue the legacy. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, yeah. I know one way to get your, your bear application numbers over 10,000. Throw us a non-resident tag. Come on. <laughs> Throw us one non-resident tag, and that number will go straight through the roof. I think Jason kind of hit on it, too, is we just don't necessarily have a bear hunting culture here in Missouri yet. You know, there's a lot of folks we talk to in our bear hunting class that have hunted bears just about ever, everywhere else. So mm-hmm. they have experience, but they, you know, they're, they're, they want to do it here. And, I, and there's a number of guys this year that were inquiring about archery hunting. And did anyone last year get a get a bear with a, a bow? And, and no, they didn't. So there was a number of guys that are like, man, I hope I'm the first guy that gets a bear with a bow this year. Let alone like, hey, I've done it in Colorado. I've done it in Montana. So, you know, I think we need to build the culture a little bit. Just and it's very new. And sure. yeah, I mean, down the road, where it's not like we're saying, well, we won't have a non-resident uh you know we just want to play things conservative you know get a get a feel for this all and then we can you know re revisit those regulations down the line and you know yeah that i and i could see people coming in here uh, there's plenty of bear hunters that want to bag a bear in another state so you know we could we could be that state for them mm-hmm. yeah you absolutely could you absolutely could well look you guys jason thank you for reaching out to me and just um saying hey we did this last year our second season's coming up let's do this again let's get the information out into the into the airwaves uh i'll let you know we have a a far bigger audience now than we did then our podcast numbers are going through the roof which is great um i think people appreciate just straightforward very informational type podcasts and one that you know you you push the guests a little bit on so um, how about I do this, Jason, final words about anything tied to Missouri and black bears and. Well, yeah, I'd say Robbie, just thanks for the opportunity to share our story. And, and I think so much around our management plan, and our approach is to try to continue to have Missourians value having black bears on the Missouri landscape. They're a cool apex kind of animal, certainly, you know, charismatic and they can be problematic. And so our work now is really to try to figure out how we manage these populations in a way that our citizens appreciate them. And an important part of doing that in a sustainable way is going to be providing well-managed hunting opportunities. And I think our team here has done everything they can to put us in a place to be successful from the outreach side of things to as well as the population management and dealing with with problem bears when they pop up. Um, and, and that's just, that's just a reality of, of bear management. And so, um, yeah, I just appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. We're super proud of, of the model of the way we go about doing wildlife management here in Missouri. And yeah, I think we be. got, 
I think we got a good guy um, in Nate to continue um, the legacy for sure. He's not as pretty as Laura, but he's got a, <laughs> he's got a pretty good beard. I'll say that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Nate, final words as the bear biologist of the state of Missouri. Yeah, I feel really fortunate to to get in into this uh, program right at, right at the ground floor of the the hunting season, and uh, really appreciate working for an organization that you know, like Jason keeps hitting. We we really um, science comes first, and we put a lot of resources into educating ourselves to bet, best inform um, our management decisions and. And so getting to work with the organization that uh, does a really great job of mixing science and management together to, to sustain and monitor populations is great. And so I, I really hope that uh, we can learn a lot from this next hunting season. And, and this will really help us uh, better manage our bear population into the future so we can all, you know, live, live together, bears and people alike. Fantastic. Fantastic. Nate, you're the man. Jason, thanks for reaching out. Uh, anything I can do again, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, anything I can do, any message I can get out, any data that I can, I can showcase through our audience, our social media audience that's growing every single day, um, specifically full of non hunters. Uh, we want to do it. We want to showcase the great work that you guys are doing. Yep. Absolutely appreciate it. And, and I just hope it continues to reflect that state fish and wildlife agencies take their management of wildlife populations super seriously. We do not take any of these decisions lightly. And, and this discussion, I think, is reflective of that. So appreciate it. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, thanks for having us on. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll uh, get to do this regularly and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch about ideas. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.